Welcome to Future Projection, a Baseball America podcast. This is episode 68 of the show. I'm Carlos Colazo, joined by Ben Badler as we record on this Friday morning, uh, the same day you guys are going to listen to this podcast. So that's new for us, but I think maybe been a, a good move for us to be a little bit delayed because we had some things happen uh, last night. There's some awards uh, that we've had throughout throughout the week that maybe we wouldn't have been able to talk about if we recorded at our usual hour. Um, but I'm excited to talk about baseball with you today. How are you doing? Good. I, I think we probably could have talked about it before. I'm pretty sure like all these awards almost were unanimous or pretty close mm. to it. It, uh, it seems like a very uneventful uh, or unsuspenseful, I should say, yeah. uh, awards voting other than people who, uh, I guess if, if you really want to nitpick like who got uh, seventh place voter uh, who, <laughs> who, who finished eighth or something yeah, like that. But. Maybe that's fair. I, I do think... I guess we're so both both rookies of the year, Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson, they were unanimous, correct? Yeah. Garrett Cole was unanimous in the American League. I don't believe Blake Snell was unanimous. And then both MVPs, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Shoei Otani, um, which would have been the two that weren't announced prior to our typical recording time, they were both unanimous as well. So you're right. It was a pretty dominant showing from all these award winners. I'm a little surprised that Ronald Acuna Jr. was unanimous. All the other ones make some sense to me. Um, are you surprised as well that, that Acuna's was unanimous? I just felt like Betts was a little bit closer than what you might typically see with a unanimous um, vote getter. But at the same time, we haven't really seen a, a home run stolen base season like Acuna turned in. So it, it's not shocking, but I, I wouldn't have expected that, I would say. No, I, I wasn't surprised. I think it's I think they were close just in terms of the overall value that they provided on the field but yeah um i think the voters i i, I would have voted for acuna too i think when we talked i would have as well yeah when we, when we talked in september we said it was it was very like i could go either way I, I, was, I was slightly leaning toward bets at the time if i had to make the call but yeah it would really come down to the final stretch of the season um and now i, I think acuna has inched ahead uh of bets i, I still think voting either way would be defensible but i mean yeah. bets finished the season hitting uh you know like just like his last 45 plate appearances it was 243 378 324 hmm. acuna went on a tears you know <laughs> in in the final month of the season pulled yeah. away and then obviously and it does the seem like the stuff it seems like the 4070 is more of a needle mover than any sort of argument for bets defensive um, versatility for the voters, at least. And again, like all the counting stats are in Ronald Cooney Jr.'s favor. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's crazy that he won. I would have voted for him too. Like you said, I was kind of step in step with you in terms of how you're viewing it throughout the year. Um, but it, it was a little surprising the unanimous. I guess Mookie Betts was a unanimous number two. Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty obvious awards across the board any thoughts on manager of the year winners skip schumacher in the national league and then brandon hyde in the american league coming off our uh manager expose or uh or, or how to hire a manager podcast i think yeah you could go a lot of different directions with voting for manager of the year it's hard to get too worked up about that like i was like bruce bochy did a great job mm. um Brandon Hyde wins the award. Um, there's probably, you know, like there are managers who were on, who who had teams that didn't make the playoffs, losing records, um, that probably had good managerial seasons. But the key to being a good manager is to have good players, and I think the key to 
winning the manager of the year award is to have low expectations coming into the season <laughs> and then or have the you know the, the media or public have low expectations of you coming in mm-hmm. and then uh, actually having a, a good season probably do you, do you think the expanded playoffs helped Schumacher win the award like if they have the same record but they don't end up making the playoffs just because we're back in the format where there's fewer teams do you think the writers still vote for him my my guess is probably probably not yeah i haven't given that much thought but i would imagine that is a, a pretty big factor and probably helped him uh, yeah they they feel like almost like a, a bit of a forgettable team if they didn't sneak into the playoffs given the expansion um so yeah i'd probably agree with that but both seem like solid candidates solid uh winners for for that award i'm fine with it um, I think you summed it up really nicely when you laid out basically how you win a manager of the year award. Uh, that, that all makes sense to me. The one other note before we get into some more player talk that, that we can talk about today is this morning um, we had our first, I'd say, significant trade of the offseason. Um, the Braves acquired Aaron Bummer from the White Sox for five players, um, mostly like post-hype players, um, including Mike Soroka, Nikki Lopez, Jared Schuster, and then minor leaguers, Braden Schumacher and Riley Goins. We wrote up this trade. It's on the site if you guys want breakdowns of it. Do you have any thoughts on this, Ben? I think Braves trades are always more interesting to me just because I'm doing the system and so I know all the prospects. Um, It's not a massive trade, so I don't know that it requires a ton of breakdown or analysis here. But if you had any thoughts, I wanted to open it up to you since... It did happen, and it is timely, and people can be listening to this podcast the same day, which is maybe a bit of a rarity for us on this show since it's more evergreen and weekly. Yeah, finally, we can put a rest to all of those Aaron Bummer uh, and Nicky Lopez and Jared Schuster trade rumors that have just been <laughs> flying around there everywhere. Um, yeah, what well, I mean, you're getting the kind of the Braves are buying what a, a reliever kind of a buy low i guess to a certain extent i mean yeah the, the peripherals obviously were still pretty good with him especially the strikeouts obviously the era spiked that could be more flukish obviously with the a, a reliever so i think they're probably looking to uh you know add add a bounce back candidate to their bullpen who has I believe multiple years now of team yeah, he's under control. control through 2026. There are multiple team options that can be picked up. I believe it's 7.25 million and then 7.5 million. Um, and I think there's probably a decent chance both those get picked up. I mean, Bummer has been a pretty consistent reliever since 2018. Uh, the performance in the FIP has been fairly solid in each of those years. And then this year, I noted this in the write-up. I mean, he had the biggest gap between his ERA and his FIP of any pitcher with at least 50 innings, and it was pretty significant. Number two on that list was was fairly distant behind him. So I would imagine it's a pretty easy under on that 6.79 ERA. The White Sox maybe had one of the worst defenses in baseball last year. Uh, I don't think the Braves are some elite defensive team, but they should be better than that. Um, his slider is solid. He avoids barrels at a pretty good rate. You mentioned the strikeouts. Uh, I think it's a solid addition for the Braves. It's like a an obvious value on a competitive team now. I think it makes sense for the White Sox. You, I, I would say probably the last thing you need as a rebuilding team is a quality bullpen arm. It, it seems to make sense from my perspective to to move those guys while they have value. Uh, and the White Sox, you maybe don't have a single guarantee with any of the players that are coming back over in this package. Um, 
but Chris Getz has, has said that he's trying to add depth to the organization. Doesn't have great depth. You've got Mike Soroka and Jared Schuster, who could be two solid pieces in a rotation for you. They're certainly going to get more opportunities to get innings and kind of reclaim some of their previous prospect value or just value overall in this system. Nicky Lopez is a solid player. Uh, he's a good defender. There are obviously questions about the bat with him. And then I think with Braden Shoemake too, he was kind of blocked in Atlanta, didn't have a great year in AAA offensively. It sounds like the fielding took a step back as well, but he can play both middle infield positions. Um, and as, as recently as this spring, he was kind of competing with Von Grissom for a spot on the opening day roster for the Braves. So I think for all these players going to Chicago, it's just more opportunities and a chance for some of them to bounce back. And for the White Sox, you're trading a reliever if you can get two valuable players that are going to help you over the next few years or when you're competitive again i think that is a reasonable gamble to make yeah i think a lot of these players are kind of spare parts types for for the braves none of these guys would be like a top 10 prospect yeah there's only two prospects really shoemaker and, and goins the other three are all sort of big league depth types who are beyond prospect status shoemaker was slotted to land in the 10 to 20 range uh, on the Braves system, probably towards the lower end of that range. He has kind of just depreciated in value over the years. And again, this is his worst season offensively in his second year at AAA Gwinnett. And then Riley Goins, I'm not sure he was a strong candidate to make the top 30. He was a ninth round pick, senior sign. He's going to already be entering his age 24 season. It's an intriguing fastball with some some riding uh, and carrying life. Uh, but it's mostly low 90s. I think he's probably a reliever. He's split time as a starter and a reliever in pro ball. Uh, but it's more of like a flyer uh, on a guy who signed for $50,000 this year. So I'm not sure what your expectations are going to be for a player like that. But um, certainly if one of these guys hits or one of these guys reclaims a little bit of value they've shown previously, or if Soroka is just healthy and is 70% of the pitcher that he was prior to his injuries, you're probably pretty happy with that if you're the White Sox. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh... You know, not not a blockbuster trade, no. but this is what you're, you know, <laughs> this is this is a this is the return for, um, you know, your mm. your Aaron Bummer trade. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we can move on from that. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about was with the Rookie of the Year awards, um, both the D-backs and the Orioles get PPI picks, um, prospect promotion incentive picks. Julio Rodriguez earned one of these picks for the Mariners. A year ago, now the D-backs and the Orioles will have them. Um, so it'll be right after the first round. Do you like this idea? And I guess this kind of leads me into a question about, do you think the draft is now too convoluted? Because for me, there are so many obscure rules and details of the order and where your revenue status is uh, in the CBT the lottery, the percentages, the Nationals not being able to pick top 10 because they had they were in the lottery last year and they cleared a certain threshold in CBT so they can't have back-to-back lottery picks, so their odds are taken away. It's just a very convoluted and complicated process now. Uh, I'm wondering if like you care about that at all. I, I care about it because I'm, I'm supposed to be able to figure out all this stuff and it's very annoying to have to try and deal with it and it's annoying also to not know the exact order and the fact that free agent compensation like the picks that you're giving up and the picks you're getting depend on 
the deals that are signed and again your revenue your revenue sharing status it's all kind of a mess um but it does seem like the lottery in itself just adds more intrigue to the draft so i'm wondering if you think it's a easily worth the, the cost of all this random lawyer-esque writing i have to go through for the rules of the draft well i think the important part is the way the incentives it provides that now has an impact on the behavior of clubs in terms of when they're promoting their top young prospects we are seeing them put them on the field now more more frequently on opening day or being more willing to bring them up um at the end of the season as well whereas you know before it was like oh like i wonder why the cubs aren't calling up or bringing up chris bryant on their opening day roster uh because he has to work on his base running or uh or some other minor made up factor right like it's it's all nonsense uh, and and that still happens but it's happening less frequently i want to see teams put just their best players on the field uh, especially their best young players uh their best rookies so we're seeing that happen more often so i think that's been a good thing uh and as far as having teams not being able to repeatedly accumulate top picks or, or the top 10 picks um like you know like the nationals now i, I think that's that's a good thing too I, I think the what the orioles did or what the astros did makes a lot of sense in terms of their strategy to tank and accumulate um number one overall picks and and consistently pick at the top or or near the top of the draft but it's not a good thing overall for baseball it's it's i think you should be penalized for making decisions that make your team worse on the field uh, at the major league level so um so i think those are all good things as far as the convolution yeah, that's oh. just a, it sounds like that's just a me problem that I'll have to deal with, Ben. It's like it's like the draft date being later in the summer, probably good for baseball as a whole, just a bit of a headache for everyone who's really involved with it. And I think you're right. Everything you mentioned makes the game better. We get our young players up earlier. There's less. Um, I mean, like to your point, it, it made sense for those teams to tank and reap the benefits of the system. But I, I do like that the system no longer as heavily incentivizes losing to acquire high draft capital like we'll see if teams are able to still tank and move up high enough to make it worthwhile but um if that's no longer like a i don't know if it's guaranteed but a very easy way to do your rebuild i, I think that that is probably better being like the brewers or or the twins uh trying to think of other teams who haven't fully torn down and just tried to remain competitive like that that seems like a much better path to building a good team than completely bottoming out, which has been effective. And, and it's, it's the, the, the small, the small market teams can, uh, the, the difference, right. Is the small market teams still can't have a pick in what in three, if they have, years? yeah, if they have back to back lottery picks, I, I believe then they will no longer be allowed to have a lottery pick in that third year. So it, it's basically the same as the nationals just takes another year to trigger. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I guess the, the owners are always, uh, infighting among themselves <laughs> oh, yeah. about the, like the bigger revenue teams and the smaller revenue teams. I, you know, to me, I, I don't care if it's a big revenue team or a smaller revenue team. 
I think it should actually just be an even playing field for those draft picks. Like I don't, I well, think the, if the, Oak, the, if the, the, big, the small A's, owners yeah. will say it's not an even playing field to begin with, but I'm entirely in agreement with you there. <laughs> yeah. If, if the Oakland A's, uh, you know, if their ownership wants to put, uh, uh, you know, the, the product on the field <laughs> that they've been putting on recently, I, I don't think we should be giving them more draft picks um, at the, you know, at the very top of the draft and other, clubs obviously the lottery didn't uh, quite go their way <laughs> last year but um but i i mean the, the the as far as the compensation picks though that to me if if you wanted to get rid of the compensation picks attached to the players who receive qualifying offers i'd be all on board yeah it seems like that. that's been that's been like a, a key element that the union has been trying to get for years in the cba right and it's, yeah, it's always a bargaining only... chip the real reason it's there is to drive down the prices of free agents. That's why the owners mm-hmm. like it is because the teams know, okay, if we give up or if we sign this player who received a qualifying offer, like we're going to give up a significant amount uh, of draft, you know, a, a draft pick draft bonus pool money. And these guys are already underpaid relative mm-hmm. to what their open market value is. So it's not just, Oh, we're losing, you know, $2 million in bonus pool money. We're losing an asset that is worth that pick itself is worth, you know, 10, $20 million, whatever yeah. it is. So they factor that into the rate that they're paying for the free agent and just essentially subtracting it mm. from there. Which team? So we have three teams that have the exact same odds at the top to get the number one overall pick. The A's, the Royals, and the Rockies each have eighteen point three percent chance to earn the top overall pick. Which of those three teams do you think is most deserving, or would you most like to see in that spot if you have a team? Because again, you mentioned last year the A's were the unfortunate team that fell out of that top five range that that turned out to be a tear break in this class in twenty twenty four. I'm not sure. We have that that tier break. We certainly don't have it now. It might end up being the case that, that we do have a tier break that matters up there. But do you have any thoughts on the three teams that are currently the favorites for the number one overall pick? You think that's what uh, John Fisher was saying when the other day when he was saying, you guys don't understand how hard this has been on me? Wouldn't it? Yeah. Talk about losing the yeah losing out of the draft lottery. It's been much harder for him to have to go through losing the draft lottery and missing out on a Max Clark <laughs> or a Wyatt Langford or a Walker Jenkins um, than the fans who've had to watch the the product. Yeah, you no, know, it's, are it's you probably a... the other way around? He's probably psyched that he didn't have to pay as much money for draft picks. <laughs> he probably yeah, he probably is like hoping it happens again because the slot yeah. value will be. Couple million bucks cheaper when you combine that with the underslotting. Although I need to see how much the A's actually spent on their draft class this year. If they are one of the teams that did not even use up their full pool, I think we had three teams off the top of my head that didn't. Which I never really understand that. Uh, no, they went over. Okay, good on them. They went over four point seven percent. So you can't say that they just spent less than they actually were able to on the draft. So kudos, kudos to the A's for that one. But. Are, do you pay attention to F1 at all, Ben? I know JJ is a big Formula One fan. I know it involves cars. <laughs> okay. So right now they, they're in uh, Vegas. There's a really highly touted, like really glamorous, over-the-top race that's happening on the Vegas Strip. And it's been a complete and utter nightmare in terms of like the track actually being decent. Like multiple cars have gotten damaged because the street is just not... It's just not a, a racing circuit, and they didn't do a good enough job. So 
between F1, between the A's and John Fisher, there are really there are a lot of inept sporting organizations in Vegas right now. So it's a fun time for the city. Yikes. Yeah, not so great. Um, okay, let's move on. I also wanted to ask you about Rule 5 stuff. We had the 40-man the roster deadline this week. JJ and Jeff, I believe, already have their first version of Rule 5 players to know. Does the Rule 5 draft move the needle for you at all, Ben? Because, and JJ, if you're listening, you can tune out here and go watch some more F1. But I don't I don't really love the, the Rule 5 draft, Ben. Where, where are you at on it? I'm interested in the players um, who are unprotected for the first time, and I want to bring those up. There are three first-year eligible first-round picks who are left unprotected, and I think those are interesting players to talk through. But where are you at overall with the Rule 5 draft? I know you're not at the JJ extreme, but... Are you interested in it? Is it fun for you? Or is it just kind of another event on the calendar that's meh? Uh, I think it's interesting to just scan through the names. Um, it's always, you know, it's it, it, typically the guys who are just at the very, very margins of the roster. Most of the players who will get picked will not stick around. The ones who do will not typically make a significant impact. But there are exceptions. I think it's interesting to see which players may have been surprisingly left off. Obviously that tells you something about how they're thought of within the organization. Um, I do, like, I, I do think there are some, there are definitely some interesting names, but um, it's tough. Cause even if you have a, a reliever who you like, who you think could be uh, a useful component of a major league bullpen, you also have to take that guy and then keep him on the roster throughout the entirety of the season. Whereas there's probably a comparable guy that you can find um, for pretty cheap, uh, either in your own organization or through a trade uh, for another club for a pretty minimal cost who you don't have to do that with, who you can just, you know, bring up and down who, um, you know, who has options to, do that with so um also as you kind of said that just the fact that i've worked with jj for <laughs> so long uh and now jeff has fully caught the rule five fever <laughs> as well it means i just i just haven't had to like dial into it with the yeah uh, level of granular detail that well, uh, no I, nobody really <laughs> should but, but they do i certainly don't go into it with as much of that granularity as those two do, but I actually had the opposite. I thought you were going to go the opposite direction there and say that like JJ's enthusiasm for it is, is so much that it wears off a little bit on you. And you're more like, I think I am more excited about it than I otherwise would be because of JJ's enthusiasm. And it's still very low for me, but I do think it's interesting how it feels like JJ almost has single-handedly like created excitement about this event. He's just like forced it on everyone who cares about prospects and follows baseball america at a at a heavy level uh so that's fun to watch like seeing the first time i went to the winter meetings it was in orlando i think 20 either 2017 or 2018 i don't remember which year it was in orlando but like seeing jj's excitement about that event in person is truly something that i'll never forget and is is very fun to just think about um, but one element of this that I do think is interesting and worth talking about a little bit more on this podcast are three of the players who were left unprotected um, this year who were first-time eligible and first-round picks. 
Not a great day for the Twins uh, in this category because two of the players are Twins first-rounders. The three players are Keone Cavaco, who was a first-rounder in the 2019 draft. And then in 2020, they took Aaron Sabato um, for their first-round pick. Both those two are unprotected. And then maybe the biggest miss of all uh, comes with the Royals. They didn't add Asa Lacey, and he was a 2020 first-round pick, fourth overall. I believe that's the highest unprotected pick since 2016 when the Rockies didn't leave uh, or they didn't protect Riley Pint. Um, So any thoughts on those players in general now? It seems like all three of them fairly quickly once they got into pro ball, there were really big questions. Keone might be the most interesting one from my perspective because he's followed this like Austin Beck sort of path. I mean, Austin Beck entering his draft year had more notoriety and just general awareness in the scouting industry than Keone Cavaco did uh, entering his summer, but they were both, you could call them pop-ups, I guess, because a lot of the, uh, a lot of the movement they made up the board was, was during the spring of their senior years in high school. Um, Keone Cavaco and Austin Beck seemed like two of the bigger whiffs in recent memory, both were top 15 picks in 2019, uh, or excuse me, 20, 2018 and then 2019 for Keanu Cavaco. He just never has really been the hitter. That was always the biggest question. He showed really exciting tools. He had raw power, arm strength, athleticism, and then has really never figured it out with the bat. I mean, he's a career 219, 274, 336 hitter in the minors has yet to get to double A. He's going to be entering his age 23 season now. So it just feels like a whiff overall. And then you've got the college guys in Sabato uh, and Asa Lacey, who Lacey obviously has massive control questions now. And Sabato, I think, has similar hitting questions without any of the defensive profile fallback that you can have. Like he needs to hit and he just hasn't so far. So do you have any thoughts on those players or those picks at the time, um, like, were you skeptical of any of these guys at the time, or are these just going in the bucket of players uh, who are misses? And just a reminder that the draft is not a guarantee, even if you're selected high up. Well, I think Lacey in particular sticks out, right? He was, you know, Max Meyer went third overall, Lacey went fourth, but you know, second <clears throat> second pitcher in the draft. You look at his track record in college at Texas A&M. It was pretty good. Uh, obviously, the 2020 season, his draft year got shortened, but he was off to a really good start there. And then it's just been, you know, e- even if you may have been more skeptical of him, uh, I don't know how anybody could have foreseen this coming from him where he gets into pro ball and immediately just has no ability to throw strikes with any sort of reliability and then in 2022 everything just came completely unraveled walking more than a batter per inning and now it just looks like um you know it it'd it'd be surprising to me i wouldn't necessarily rule it out entirely but if he ends up pitching in the big leagues ever it would be a pleasant surprise which you know for the guy you know a college pitcher taken with a top five overall pick is uh, not not unprecedented, maybe, but uh, really not uh, not not something that you find too often in 
pretty surprising given the given the way that he did pitch when he mm. was in college. Yeah, I guess we probably should assume that the 2020 draft is going to have more misses than normal, just given the chaos surrounding that event outside of anything on the baseball field. But all three players picked in front of Asa Lacey, at least our big leaguers, can say they are. I think we're waiting for all three of those guys, Spencer Torkelson, Hessen Kerstad, and Max Meyer, to, to really establish themselves. But um, both Asa Lacey and Austin Martin, who's picked fifth by the Blue Jays right behind him, still have yet to make the big leagues, questionable big league future. Um, just scanning down the list to see other other players taken behind them. Like Reed Detmers is, as of right now, the the best player from the 2020 draft in terms of big league value overall. Bobby Miller, I think, at, at again, <laughs> we look at the Dodgers picking at 20, 29 overall with maybe a better pitcher than any that went in front of them. It, you can't stop the Dodgers, man. They, it doesn't matter where they're picking. They're going to find someone who's valuable. Um and then Aaron Sabato, I mean, that's a that was always a, a tough profile, um, just because it was first base slash DH only. Even at the time, like he was never a really great athlete. It was really good numbers in college. Um, I think early on there was still some hope that that he would get to some impact and would hit enough, but um, at least he got on base. I think that was that's maybe the trait that that he kind of carried through from college to pro ball. Um, got on base in the lower levels at a pretty solid clip. Um, 2022, he even still had a 336 OBP, but you need more from a first base only type than the line that he's shown so far. The contact questions are significant. He's never hit for a really high average since he's been in the minors. Um, so you just really have to be convicted in your hitting ability to take a profile like that. And it's right, right first base. I know a lot of people just don't like that profile overall, but um I mean, maybe this is a player type that can pop on models because of the power and the home run production and presumably the exit velocity. I know one of the critiques of some models is it, it can lead you towards a lot of corner profiles um, who are power. And, and really, if you don't hit on the hit tool, there's not a lot else to fall back on. That's been a critique. I think the lesson that I learned with Asa Lacey, even at the time, I think there was some skepticism about his, his command and his control and the walk rates, he did pitch deep into counts at the time. For me, what I take away from Lacey is, is to be skeptical of amateur pitchers who have a lot of strikeouts and miss, but it's reliant on chase out of the zone um, because he did get a lot of chase out of the zone, and I think it's probably easier to induce chase against uh, amateur hitters and college hitters compared to pro hitters, obviously. They're going to have better approaches, better eyes. They're going to be able to pick up on stuff better. Um, but if you do have control questions, maybe look and see how much of their miss is coming just out of the zone. Like he can miss on his spots and not put his breaking ball, which was really good at the time in the zone and still get good results. Is that something that, that he can replicate at the next level? Or is that an area that, that will be fixable at the next level, I guess, or things that come up Would the Braves first round pick Hurston Waldrop fit into mm -hmm. that bucket of player for you? Or is there something, I mean, obviously he's already I mean, he's he's already been to AAA. He's already had more success in Pro Bowl than Asa Lacy. Or does he is he a different type of player for you? Um, I think the fact that he has had success so far in the minors um, is encouraging. It's more encouraging the fact that he's literally already knocking on the door. Just the proximity to the big leagues is exciting. But I do think that he has similar question marks like that splitter that he throws. It is a chase pitch. 
It is often reliance on players going out of the zone. Some of the times where he didn't find success in college uh, were games where teams would really just sit on that splitter. They wouldn't swing at it. They would be really patient against that pitch type. And then Waldrip would get himself into trouble, uh, offer some free passes. And I don't think that he has the sort of elite riding life on the fastball. And he certainly doesn't have the pinpoint command of the fastball to where if you're not swinging at that splitter, that's just going to be an overwhelming pitch in and of itself. So I do think for him, like one of the biggest questions is maybe two questions. Like, can you improve the fastball command? Can you get it in the zone enough just to set everything else up? And then also, what is the split change command going to be? Is that going to be a pitch that I know it's always a tough pitch to control and throw for strikes at a high rate, regardless of the pitcher, just because of the action that it has. But if he's able to just locate it consistently and at least put it in the zone enough to where batters have to you can't just take the pitch. And again, I'm not sure how easy it is just to like, it's a lot easier to say, okay, I'm going to sit on that splitter uh, before the game than it is to actually go through with that in game. Like, like there's a reason it's a, it's a devastating pitch because it has late action. Um, but yeah, I think those are the two biggest question marks for him, both in terms of like his success as a big leaguer and then profile. Like, I think he's got a solid chance to start. He's been a starter for a long time. He's being developed as a starter you certainly want his walk rate to improve to sustain that role and to live up to the upside potential that he really does have as like a mid rotation arm. He's going to need to improve in that area and in the pitch type and the fastball command history would be question marks. So definitely would like to see maybe improve fastball control for him next year as a starting point. And we'll just see how pro hitters are able to lay off that splitter or not. Yeah. I'm with you. I think he's uh better prospect than Asa Lacey, just to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, long-winded answer yeah. for me. But yeah, I think, I mean, it, it has to make you feel a lot better when you have a pro debut like that, right? It's only 29 innings, but the fact that he was effective at every level, I mean, how concerned are you with a, a five per nine walk rate for, for a guy like Hurston Waldrip? I mean, you look at Asa Lacey's career walk rate, it's quite a bit higher, obviously, uh, I don't think what was his best minor league season for walk rate seven per nine that that's pretty crazy yeah yeah I mean I, I think the thing for me with Lacey is just more than more than like guys who rely on chase it's just sometimes pitchers can just fall apart like yeah <laughs> that just just part of the risk that comes with mm -hmm. it whether it's you know there's pl plenty of examples of it over the years and it just obviously sucks when it happens when mm -hmm. it happens to the player who you took with your you know the fourth overall pick in the draft but yeah i mean i i think with waldrip there's the control is a concern but the stuff is you know the, the stuff is everything that you talked about it's if everything clicks it's potential front of the rotation type arm but obviously <laughs> the be, between what he did both both in his pro debut uh, and then obviously, especially his, uh, you know, his one season there at Florida is uh, is a concern and, and why he's not, you know, a top 10 pick like he probably could have been hmm. coming into the year had he thrown yeah. more strikes at Florida uh, and instead it went, you know, more toward the, the back of the first round. Yeah, I think in terms of stuff and just projection moving forward, if if Waldrop had... Uh, control even close to a guy like Rhett Louder. I can't see what Louder does better than 
Hurston in terms of stuff. Like I imagine he is more of that typical pitcher profile that teams would want to pick up in the top 10 if they had that conviction in the strike throwing ability and the, and the chance to start, but really the separator for a guy like for a guy like uh louder was his ability to mix and match and really control all three pitches consistently. So if he can improve in that regard, I mean, the sky's the limit. We, we see the Braves already have like a front of the rotation type arm who doesn't necessarily have the greatest command in the world in Spencer Strider. Um, so maybe he could be a player like that who this stuff is just so good um, that he doesn't need to have the best command. I mean, we, we just saw an NL Cy Young Award winner in Blake Snell who doesn't have the best command in the world and his stuff is just so filthy that he's able to get himself out of out of trouble when he does issue free passes and gets uh, runners on base. So there's certainly a path to front of the rotation status without being an elite strike thrower. Uh, it's just a lot harder, and I imagine that it's going to uh, take a little bit of time before he gets to that sort of status. I mean, what is, what is your most likely outcome for a guy like Waldrop? Do you think mid-rotation arm, back-of-the-rotation arm, bullpen piece of those three, which would you say is, is most likely for him at this point? That's a tough one because it, it seems like there's such a wide yeah, swing high of variance. outcomes. For him, whereas like with Brett Lauder, I feel pretty, you know, as confident as you can get that he can be a solid mid-rotation starter, I think with a chance for more too. Yeah. Um, like I don't see a scenario where Brett Lauder, that, that's very likely at least, where Brett Lauder just is a bullpen arm. But whereas I think Hurston Waldrop, uh, you know, he could pee, he could be a closer. He might end up just being a low leverage relief arm too if he never <laughs> – figures out the control aspect of it he also could end up being that front end starter too i don't know the, the most likely outcome is probably something in the middle but it feels weird to say oh like <laughs> number four ish starter because the it does feel weird of, to say that given his, yeah. his stuff but i think that's right like i think he's probably most likely outcome is probably a guy who's like in your three or four spot who occasionally pitches like a two uh, but just the consistency of his strikes day to day, you you can't ever feel super confident of the the type of arm you're going to get that given day, if that makes sense. Yeah, or if it, you know, it all clicks, then he's a number two, maybe even better than number yeah. two starter. And he is a really good athlete, so I wouldn't put it past him. And the Braves do a good job developing. They've already made some tweaks to his delivery, trying to get uh, better tempo, better rhythm. Um, but there's some violence in that delivery. So I'm, I'm curious what the delivery itself will look like next year. It's tons of arm speed, but um, definitely a little bit effortful at times for him. But, uh, do you want to talk some NL Central prospects? We got all our, yeah. all our NL Central top 10s up now. Your Brewers, your Brewers top 10 is rounding out our NL Central for us. So if you're listening to this podcast today, you can see all of our NL top 10s right now. Ben is chatting um, today, a few hours after we get off this podcast uh, to talk Brewers prospects. So yeah, let's talk, let's talk NL top 10s, NL, NL Central farm systems. Um, I think they're all pretty solid, Ben. I mean, what are your overall thoughts on Brewers, Cubs, Reds, Pirates? Uh, who am I missing? The Brewers, Cubs. Brewers, Cubs, sure. Reds, Pirates. Who am I missing here? Can Carlos name the fifth? Oh, Cardinals. <laughs> Cardinals. They they were too bad this year. They don't deserve to be uh <laughs> to, to be in this conversation. But no, I feel like all of these and I'm curious what your take is. I feel like all of these farm systems and all these top tens are solidly 
middle of the pack are better. Like, I don't feel like there's one bad system to be found here. Like a couple of weeks ago when we talked about NL East, there's a couple of bad systems. All of these I feel like are solid. And then I think the Brewers is phenomenal. Yeah, there's no Braves. There's no Marlins system that's really lagging here. Um, yeah, I think the, the Brewers, the Cubs, both have really strong farm systems right now. Um, Pirates, that that's one where I think it should be better than it mm-hmm. is, just given the status of where they've been and where they've been drafting recently. Um, but it's, you know, you, you still have Paul Skeens, right? Like you still have Tamar Johnson and Bubba Chandler, and it's, you know, they're still good players. I in would the say system. the one thing that concerns me with the Pirates, I really like their system a lot, actually, but it's very pitcher heavy. And I'm not at all convinced that the Pirates are an organization that gets the most out of their arms. In fact, we've seen a few of their guys take steps backwards in situations where I'm not sure that other orgs they would have done that. So that would be my concern with Pittsburgh more than like a lack of talent. I don't know who do they have any great examples of homegrown arms. It feels like they have many more examples and recent examples of players that they didn't get great results out of who then left the organization uh, and, and got better. Obviously Garrett Cole is probably the most prominent example who just won the Cy Young award and, could easily have multiple signing awards at this point. But I mean, the stuff that we heard with, with Paul Skeens this year, again, we talked about this before on the podcast that concerned me. Is that a concern with you? Am I too pessimistic about it? Because obviously there's a lot of risk if you're building around pitchers in general, just given attrition, but I would feel a whole heck of a lot better if these players were in a Dodgers or a Marlins or a Guardians system. Yeah. To me, it's more, the, the way to build a farm system is around the bats. Now they have graduated Andy Rodriguez. They have graduated Henry Davis. So there are young hitters who are not on this list, but who are in their organization at the same time. I, I think there's, especially with Henry Davis, some pretty significant red flags, both offensively and clearly on the defensive end as well. Um, but otherwise, just you look around the system, and I, I love, I still love Tamar Johnson. I think some more question marks came up this year, just given the strikeouts that he had. Obviously, he had you know over a hundred walks. Uh, there's a lot of power in there, especially for somebody his size, because there's just so much bat speed that he has. But really, on the position player side beyond him and it's not like he's going to be ready mm. next year or anything like he's still what 19 or maybe just turned 20 years old soon but um you know he just made it to high a this year as a high school pick the the year before but i don't know nick gonzalez is not like inspiring a ton of confidence that he can be um like a league average or better regular mm-hmm. at this point i don't know where these other I just I would expect to have more position players, more potential impact bats in the system where there isn't that same risk of injury attrition that you have um, or volatility that you have with pitching prospects. I think that's the way that most successful teams that have gone this deep rebuild route have been able to build through 
the farm system is by mm. developing these homegrown position players. And there's definitely a lot of pretty intriguing arms in the system. And, and obviously really like Paul Skeens a lot. And, and the reports on Bubba Chandler from po- pro scouts this year have been really exciting. But um, when I see the lack of hitting prospects in a system like this, that's been consistently picking toward the top of the draft. Mm. I think that's, that's the concern for me. Yeah. I think 2021, obviously going with Henry Davis on a big underslot deal so they could move money around. You might feel better uh, in hindsight, if you had taken like a Jordan Lawler or Marcelo Meyer guys who we had at the very top of the board. Although admittedly at the time, I think it was pretty wide open in that draft class. It wasn't like there was a clear cut, obvious, like this is the guy you have to take here. Um, They took Lonnie White in the supplemental second round in 2021. Uh, Otherwise, it was pitchers up top that got a lot of the money. Anthony Stolometto signed for 2.8 in the second. Bubba Chandler, who you mentioned, signed for $3 million in the third. Then if you look at the 2022 draft, they're picking number four. They take Tamar Johnson. Again, a guy who at the time probably really happy with that pick, um, given his reputation as a pure hitter, given the sort of unique and outlier hitting traits he had as a high school hitter, the fact that he's gone into pro ball and there have been more questions raised, uh, maybe not the same amount of questions as, as a guy like Drew Jones who went uh, number two overall, but certainly hasn't had the ascension that a Jackson Holiday type has that maybe would make you feel better about the offense in this system. After that, they take a lot more pitching. Thomas Harrington in the supplemental first round, Hunter Barco in the second round, um, Jack Brannigan, who's a two-way guy in the third, Michael Kennedy in the fourth 2023, going to their most recent draft class, it was, again, fairly pitching heavy. Paul Skeen's obviously the 1-1. Then you put a lot of money towards Xander Muth in the supplemental second round, um, really 4 through 10. It's all pitching, a lot of college arms. The two hitters you take are Mitch Jeb at Michigan State, who's a fine prospect, and then Garrett Forrester in the third. So it, it feels like a lot of the hitting concerns you have in this organization are going to come down to what you think about Termar Johnson. I'm not necessarily opposed to rebuilding with arms. It definitely feels more risky. But for a team like Pittsburgh, who it, it doesn't feel like they're ever going to be competitive on the market for pitching, you kind of need to build up your own homegrown arms. So it is risky, but I don't think it's unwarranted. Um, but, I mean, it's hard to not agree with you that you'd like to see a bit more impact on the hitting side here, given where Pittsburgh has been. Yeah, I, I and I think to me, I don't even know if it's so much about what you think about Tamar Johnson because I really like Tamar Johnson. I'm probably even higher on Tamar than probably where we have him. Like I'm probably just higher, pro- probably just one of the highest people on the staff <laughs> on him. I, it's probably yeah. fair to say. Uh, hey, really, he's a he's a short hitter, Ben. I mean, it's your it's your type to a T. But it's it's really just the the hitting prospects beyond him that I think is is what's lacking yeah. in the rest of of the system oh yeah i'd agree with that there there's not a whole lot of impact there to be found but are you excited about any of the arms in the system outside of paul Skeens? um anthony salametto has some intriguing traits quinn priester obviously has uh, been very highly rated at times has gone a bit up and down thomas harrington seems like he had a really strong year um i mean what are your expectations for some of these arms yeah, I think, you know, like whether it's like Chandler, Jared Jones, you know, potentially Salamito, these guys all can fit into yeah. a top I didn't even 100. mention Jared Jones. He had a really strong year. Yeah. So, you know, Priester, 
probably on the outside looking in, I would say, of the top 100. So um, I, I think Chandler was the guy who it seems like had the – just had really strong feedback from pro scouts this year who saw him, obviously, a, a power fastball uh, slider as a chance to, you know, miss a, miss a lot of bats. Um athletic arm there's there's a lot of things to like there as a potential mid-rotation starter yeah i think with both chandler and jones you've got potential mid-rotation guys given the stuff they have jones fastball is just phenomenal it sounds like the slider has still been really good it was nice to hear about more consistency for him uh in 2023 um and skeins i mean you have to expect that he's going to wind up being a front of the rotation pitcher, just given his pedigree of the stuff he has, what he did in college. Like he should be ready to go at some point in the big leagues as soon as next year. I'm really hoping that he comes out and looks looks like the LSU version of himself. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm intrigued with this system. I'm curious, just looking at our midseason or rankings. Ben, we'll get to all of these teams. I'm not sure which order you want to go, but we had uh, of the NL Central teams, we had the Brewers. Then we had the Pirates, the Cubs, the uh, Reds, and the Cardinals. Is that the order that you would still go for these NL Central teams, given where we're at in the calendar and and what we know of the players with a full season? Or would you shake that up at all? I think so. Well, so since then, you know, there's players who have graduated, right? Sal Frillick graduated from the Brewers, Hmm. the Cubs, or excuse me, the Pirates. They they must have graduated, or they. Andy graduated. Andy graduated. I don't know if Henry Davis maybe. I don't think Henry. I think Henry Davis had already graduated at that time. Let's see with the Cubs. I think everything is chalk with them. PCA still prospect eligible. With yeah, I would say that the Cubs to me would be the one that would bump up. I think mm-hmm. what Matt Shaw did after signing yeah. really elevated his stock. Uh, Owen Casey had a really good second half too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his stock went up. Moises Ballesteros, another one. Um, yeah, the Jeff, top five is very loud between PCA, Kate Horton, Matt Shaw, Owen Casey, and Moises Ballesteros. I think that's a really strong top five. Yeah, as you know, Jefferson Rojas as an 18-year-old getting more playing time in mm. low A and, and the way that he performed jumped out as another guy who it's like, all right, probably need to probably need to bump him up some more based on what he's done since that last time we did our farm system ranking. So um, the, you know, the, the pirate system is still good. Uh, but the, I think the Cubs would be one team that was jumped up from there for me. Yeah, I think I would agree with you. I mean, Matt Shaw had perhaps the top three, top five debut among 2023 draftees, pushing to the upper minors, showing a lot of power, um, just hitting everything. He's middle of the infield profile, whether or not you think he sticks at shortstop, it, probably doesn't really matter to me either way. I think he's going to hit a lot, hit for power, um, add steals on the bases, just very impactful. Own Casey, um, maybe one of the bigger boomer bust profiles that we have, just tons of raw power, huge exit velocities. And he's been productive despite uh, pretty high strikeout rates so far. Is is that a player that, that you're more skeptical on? Where are you at with Owen Casey? 
Uh, you know, I'm at least optimistic that he can keep the contact rate to a manageable mm. level because it's it's like right on that borderline of <laughs> what can make uh uh you know what can work uh against major league pitching versus what ends up a 4a type of player yeah uh, it can be a very fine line um but they're the raw power that he has is about as good as anybody in the minor leagues uh it's it's well above average raw power i don't think he's ever going to be a 300 hitter by any means but um he has gigantic power and i i think or at least i'm hopeful that he can make just enough contact to make it work because he does have some some idea of of the strike zone as well um he's you know a pretty physical guy i would say but he he moves pretty well for his size too there's there's some athleticism obviously the arm strength too like there's other tools mm. in there besides just being a uh, a one trick pony so uh, but i i think obviously the obviously the key for him is just if he can make enough contact and i i th- I, I think he will which is mm. you know why we have him in our <laughs> uh, top 100 but uh, you know obviously there is some risk that it ends up more in that 4a type slugger bucket who uh, could end up mashing over in in japan one day <laughs> Well, Kevin Alcantara is another player that that has a lot of loud tools and probably has some of the similar swing and miss concerns and just length to the swing concerns. Like the hit tool is probably the one real question that people could have on him. And, and depending on mm-hmm. depending on how much he hits, could like your conviction his hitting ability will really uh, determine like how you feel about him. Obviously, because the power sounds really good, the speed sounds good. He sounds like a good defender who can play center field, who could play right field with plus arm strength, like a guy who can do a lot for you on the baseball field, but the ultimate role, it's just going to come down to how often is he striking out? How is he able to adjust to good pitching as he moves up? I mean, this is a question for every hitter ultimately. Um, but, but how far off do you think he is from uh, cracking a top 100 or being a guy that you're really excited about? And I guess what side of the spectrum would you be on with Alcantara? And he's coming yeah. off uh, just to really quickly put it out there. Uh, 2023, he played push to double A. Most of the season was spent at high A. Overall, he hit 284, 345, 466. 13 homers, 26 doubles, 15 stolen bases. Uh, the big question, 105 strikeouts. Yeah, I think I've I've seen Kevin play since he was 14 years old. And even just back then, you're like, wow, who is that Like really tall? Like that didn't look 14, <laughs> just like a tall lean long gliding athlete who um who clearly has a lot of tools now um and has grown even t- what is he like six five six six now um, yeah i think we have him listed at six six so he's yeah there's there's gonna be length that just comes with those limbs that comes with the swing bigger strike zone that he has to control um hits the ball hard. There's obviously power. He can run. I, I think he can play uh, center field. Maybe not when Pete Crow Armstrong is your teammate. So <laughs> maybe either ends up in a, a corner or ends up being, you know, I could see him being a, a trade piece as well for them. I think that would certainly be a, yeah un, unsurprising to me. Um, but 
yeah, I, I like him. I think there's like, I don't love him. I, I think he's, I do think he's a top 100 candidate. I think the Cubs probably have about seven or players who are yep. in that. Yeah, maybe make an argument for another guy or so, but uh, who are in that top 100 mix, they, they probably end up with uh, four, maybe five. Cause with a lot of teams, you know, whatever, if you have three players in the top 100, you might have four or five who are in that conversation uh mm-hmm. certain certain organizations accepted but um but i do think they have a, a depth of players like that who are in that top 100 mix that's pretty strong and then you have you know pca one of the premium position players in the minor leagues and kate horton who's in the conversation uh you know outside of paul Skeens among the best you know the the elite pitching prospects in baseball yeah, it's a lot to be excited about in the Chicago system, even at, like beyond the top five, where I think you've got really loud players to start off in those top, like I said, top five, I think is really loud. Like Jordan Wicks is still interesting. He pitched reasonably well um, as kind of a back of the rotation starter in the big leagues. Probably some questions you're going to have moving forward about how effective he can be against big league pitchers over a full season, like what kind of swing and miss you're going to see. Would like to see him strike out a few more batters next year but the fact that he is such an advanced pitcher and he does have such an advanced changeup, i like him a little bit i like jackson ferris um he's got fun stuff i'd like to see some improvement with the control moving forward like we're always going to talk about him ironing out his delivery refining his delivery i don't know if he's a a pitcher who's ever going to really overhaul that delivery i think that's probably how he throws but it's just is he able to be more consistent um put the ball over the plate more often because he clearly has swing and miss stuff. He struck out 12.4 per nine this season um, with Myrtle Beach. It was 56 innings, 18 starts. So he wasn't going super deep into games, but missed a ton of bats. You want the walk rate to get a little bit better than 5.3 per nine. So that'll be the question for him moving forward. But that's a player further down who I think still has pretty loud stuff. Maybe did about what you would expect. Maybe better in some ways, worse than some others, but he's at least intriguing to me kind of rounding out this top 10. There's, there's not really a player on this top 10, actually, that I look at and I'm like, you know, I wish on on this spot in the list we had some more impact or a little bit more excitement. Like, it's pretty well-rounded, and I think as we're talking through it, I'm probably with you that I think the Cubs are maybe the second-best farm uh, of this group outside of Milwaukee. Where where are you at on Cade Horton? Are you, I, I think he has a chance to be a number two-type starter. I mean, the only thing I want to see now is he had he had Tommy John surgery in college, he threw, uh, what was it, 80, 88 in the third innings this season. So there's not really any – there is a medical red flag in there. Hmm. He's never thrown more than 100 innings in a season. Not that, like, the Cubs should have gone out and thrown him 120 innings or whatever this season. but So it's it's understandable the way they manage his workload. But um, that would be the one thing for me to watch. But otherwise, I mean, the the stuff is pretty electric. It's – Mid, mid to upper 90s fastball with life plus slider uh, power uh, depth mm-hmm. swing and miss um, there's a I mean I think it's mostly those two pitches there's the you know the curveball mixed in a, a mm-hmm. change up has has been uh, you know I think is is coming along for him uh, but he he throws strikes and I think he has <laughs> those two big time pitches in the fastball slider to turn into that number two type starter yeah no i i really like kate horton a lot i i think you broke it down well i love this stuff i think his control is 
probably even better than he gets um, reviews for. Like it's a basically a two point eight um, walk per nine in the minors, two point five in college. Like he's always thrown strikes at a high clip. He establishes the fastball, which has great velocity, solid miss characteristics. He lands that in the zone a ton. He lands a slider in the zone. Like I like him quite a bit. I, I just think he has a good combination of impact stuff and command um, that gives him a, a decent chance to reach that front of the rotation or or two type starter upside. I think your questions about him are, are the obvious ones, like the durability, the health. How is he going to hold up over a full season? But in terms of what's coming out of his hand, I'm not sure how many pitchers. Obviously, we haven't gone through our top 100 and, and lined those guys up yet, but he's going to rank pretty highly for me personally on a top 100 list, just given that upside potential. I like him a lot. I think it was a pretty aggressive pick for the Cubs when they made it, um, but it's looking pretty good so far. They took him seventh overall. I mean, he had dealt with injury. He hadn't played a ton. He'd shaken off some rust, but he looked really good in the postseason that year. Uh, I think everyone kind of acknowledges that it was maybe an aggressive pick, but man, it, it looks really good right now. He does seem to be the sort of advanced pitcher, um, that he's shown himself to be previously like prior to him being injured and the stuff looks fantastic. I don't know, like outside of health, I don't know what your concern would be. Like maybe you want to see a bit more of a third pitch, but the fastball and slider are pretty loud to start with. And I think whether it's between the curveball or whether it's between a changeup, uh, he'll have more than enough of a third offering to, to be just fine. Yeah. What about with match? Oh, were you surprised by just how dominant his pro <laughs> debut was? I mean, he got to double a, Overall, as a, in pro ball, he hit in, in 170 plate appearances. So not you know not huge, but not you know, not talking about 40 or 50. He hit 357, 400, 618. Uh, this is a guy who's a 13th overall pick hmm. in the draft out of Maryland. I, I think it to me, if you redo the draft, if they redid the draft tomorrow, I mean, we, we always talked about the big top five players, and they mm-hmm. ended up going in the top five, but. I feel like if you redrafted today, th- those top five still probably go top five, I-, I would think. Like, it's not like Wyatt Langford did anything to. Uh, <laughs> Wyatt Langford might be or, going to Detroit if we redrafted. <laughs> he might be going to Pittsburgh. They could, <laughs> I mean, yeah. He, but I, I think right outside of them, like, he, he could be in the mix to be that next pick, whereas he went 13th mm. Overall, and I, I wasn't like, oh wow, I can't believe Shaw lasted until thirteenth overall. It wasn't wasn't like it seemed like out of place where he got yeah drafted, think, like he sunk or anything. I think he went exactly where we expected him to be. I mean, we had him ranked. Um, just pulling up where we had him ranked. We had him number thirteen. Yeah, we had him number thirteen. He went thirteen. Um, so it wasn't surprising. His <laughs> his his name was very frequently mentioned in this range on the board, like kind of in this 10 to 15 spot. I don't think anyone really expected him to get too far. Like, I, I'm not sure if he even would have got beyond the Red Sox if, if the Cubs didn't pick him because um, they were really heavily linked to him. Yeah, I think I think his production in the minors and how advanced, uh, like just push being pushed to double A, the performance that he showed probably was better than I was expecting it to be, even though I I thought pretty highly of him at the time. I mean, we had him as a 55 hit, 55 power player. So that's pretty lofty. Uh, And I think that's part of the reason why this class is so good. You're getting a middle infield, a college middle infielder with tools, 
with a track record of hitting who's going 13th overall, like the 2024 class would kill for a player like that to go top 10. Um, so yeah, I think maybe a little bit better. I think moving forward with him, the approach is going to be my biggest question. He has some history of struggling against secondaries. He expands the zone a little bit too often. I think the the strikeouts and walks, even in pro ball, maybe reinforce some of those concerns as 25 strikeouts to nine walks. Not too concerning uh, there, but like something to note moving forward as he gets more reps um, against upper minors competition. And, and even, I don't know how quickly he's going to be pushed to the bigs, but um, those would still be kind of lingering concerns. But he hit the ball hard. He still runs well. He's still going to give you defensive value. Like it's a pretty solid all-around package. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty on board with Matt Shaw. You're not going to have to sell me too much. And I think you're right that if you redrafted, I mean, I'm not even sure who else who else would you consider there. Would would you consider Nolan Shenwell? Would you consider like Kyle Teal had a good debut? I mean, even guys like a Rhett Louder, Chase Dolander, like just given what they can provide for you. I think they'd be in conversation as well. I don't think he's like a guaranteed six, but it, it's a pretty loud debut. Yeah, I think he'd at least be in that mix. I, I think Colt Emerson has probably moved himself up. Yeah. Um, a guy in the back of the first round who would, you know, now that you have for a high school player, the professional wood bat uh, information on him, both in terms of the yeah. <laughs> performance and, you know, the, the scouting Mm-hmm. that you can just see from him. Um, maybe, I, I think, um, uh, excuse me, Bryce Eldridge is somebody else who's moved himself. Uh, 100%. It's, 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 I mean, it's a really good first round. but It looks like um, a lot of hits already, too. Like like a lot of players have looked really good. I mean, even even guys like Brock Wilkin and Johanny Morales, they had really strong years. I imagine they might be going a little bit higher. Like, who who are the guys that you think as we're talking about this 2023 draft class, are there any obvious guys you're like, Oh man, he, he probably went a little bit higher than he would in hindsight. Now, like I'm, I'm just scanning the list. There's no one that I'm like massively concerned about at this point who went in the first, I would say, like, I don't, I don't know if I can name a single player actually. No, Blake Mitchell. I mean, he had such a small debut. I know <laughs> I, I'm, I'm consistently like the Blake Mitchell supporter. I'm, I'm standing here telling people that, He's good, and everyone wants to bury him. Like, what about Blake Mitchell's thirteen games is concerning to you? Uh, I'm not saying like it's like a alarm like. Did bells. you not like him prior to the draft as well? Like, I'm not really concerned. He, he walked seventeen times. He struck out fourteen times. Yeah, he he had one extra base hit in thirteen games. You want to see more more average. You want to see more power. But it's such a small sample that I'm not really to ch- I'm not really ready to change my opinion on him too much. Um, from what I had prior to the draft. And I think he was always this sort of like a riskier, he's a high school catcher. So by nature, it's a risky demographic, but he has loud tools. And I think at a certain point you have to take a shot on a guy like that. So I'm, I'm fine with it. And I'm, I'm not really concerned at this point. I think if I, I would have, you know, Colt Emerson, for example, ahead of him, I think mm. some of these other guys who, yeah, I think you have would have taken Colt Emerson ahead of him. Outside of any kind of pro debut, though, I think like on draft day, you probably would have Emerson higher on your board than Mitchell. Like, I, I don't right. think you were ever like a Blake Mitchell. Like, that's just not your type of player. That's not a profile that you seem like super excited about. But 
I guess I, I want, I want, I'm trying to just pump the brakes on like the Blake Mitchell pessimism. Um, and he might be the number one prospect in his organization still. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like him as a prospect. It's just a matter of, all right, well, you know, we have a loaded draft. Who are yeah. we taking in the top 10? Yeah, I can, here? I can definitely see the case of like, you would rather have some other attractive profiles while still. I'd rather have Matt he's, Shaw. He's like, fine. I don't think that's a yeah. controversial no. take to. No, to I don't have. think so. And I think I would too. Like, if you, I'm trying to see. Let, let me put the first round in order. I mean, I would take you know, like I like Jacob Wilson, Chase Dolander, uh, like Frank, like Nolan Shanwell. Obviously, is a very polarizing mm. player, but like, yeah, some of these other guys. So I think of if, if if we redid the draft, today, I actually think you would take the next. So I filtered the first round, or not the first round, but the draft overall in terms of bonuses. I think you would take like the next 10 players over Blake Mitchell. So Blake Mitchell signed for 4.897. After that, we've got, and, and tell me when you wouldn't take a player over Blake Mitchell. How about that? I'll just, I'll just roll down our list. Matt Shaw, Noble Meyer, Tommy Troy, Enrique Bradfield, Thomas White, Kyle Teal, Bryce Eldridge, Jacob Gonzalez, Braden Taylor, Colt Emerson, Chase Davis, George Lombard, Johnny Farmello, Brock Wilkin, Aiden Miller, Arjun Namala, Nizan Zanatello, Stephen Echeverria, Hurston Waltrip. Am I supposed to? You're supposed you to stop me when you're going to take a when you take Blake Mitchell over one of the players. You you take all those players I named over Blake Mitchell. No, I, I think there's certain players where like they're kind of in the same family of value, okay. um, like a Jacob Gonzalez or a yeah. Thomas White. Okay. Uh, uh, obviously, all three very different types yeah. of players, but um, kind of in that same value bands. Yeah, I think mid middle of the first round where we had him on talent, he got middle of the first round money with a lot of players that are kind of in the same file of players. So we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, let's do you have any other any other Cubs comments before we move on to maybe the Reds or the Cardinals? I'm not sure what direction you want to go. We can say Brewers for last since they seem to be clearly the best. Yeah, you like the you like the red system? I yeah, think you might like it more than I do. It's intriguing. Um I like louder. I think Nolvi Marte is a solid number one overall prospect. It sounds like they're going to move some players around at the big leagues because they have a lot of confidence in him. I mean, Chase Petty had a solid year. I'm still excited about Cam Collier. Like, I'm sure me and you are both probably still towards the higher end of of opinions on him. Although maybe I would that's agree with that. yeah, yeah, maybe that's changed. It, it sounds like Sal Stewart has been good as well. He had a really intriguing bat, um, and he's hit well so far. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting system. I don't love Edwin Arroyo, I would say. Like, he he's ranked pretty high. I'm intrigued by Connor Phillips. He's kind of scary to me, but there is exciting stuff. So there's a lot of – I feel like this system has a lot of variance in the profiles. Um, it's a lot of younger players that are not too close to the big, but they're probably in a pretty good position to tolerate some of that risk given some of the young players they've already graduated. But, yeah, it sounds like you might be more down on the system. Uh, I mean, I like, <clears throat> I really like their top two. I like, uh, I like Noel V. Marte. I like Rhett Louder. Um, so I, I, I like both those guys. After that, I mean, how many top 100 players do you see in the system? Because I see, yeah, I, I see I, two for sure. Mm -hmm. After I, that, I think I'm with you, but I feel like they have a lot of players who are like in that next tier that maybe aren't on, but aren't crazy far off. 
like if like people maybe will be annoyed to to only see two, but without knowing like how close a lot of the other guys are behind them. And I think given strong years from a number of them, they could easily jump into top 100 status. But again, just like the proximity question is maybe the biggest one here. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think that they have some interesting guys lower in the lower levels. Um, like mm-hmm. I like Carlos Jorge for yeah. for a while. Um, I think Alfredo Duno um, has he had a monster season in the Dominican Summer League, a catcher or will be catching. It was like a mm. uh, I forget the exact. I don't want to give him the wrong medical <laughs> information on the podcast off the top of my head, but. Um, but he, you know, he's DHing more this year. Uh, but he has a outstanding arm. Can I think? I think he can catch, even though he's a bigger guy. He gets pretty strong reviews for mm. what he's able to do when he is behind the plate. Uh, and then obviously the offensive numbers, the the power, the uh, the. I, I I would not have been surprised if he went out and you know hit hit for power, but didn't have the you know the on base and and the batting average that he did this year i wouldn't have been surprised if that was lower um but he was even better pro than i than i would have expected um so he's a guy i'm pretty excited about collier you mentioned leo balcazar didn't play a lot this season but he Mm -hmm. has a pretty interesting profile shortstop or somewhere in the middle infield uh some feel for the barrel pretty good back control with him so um yeah there there are guys there Do you I know just the, don't see the player that i like net more now than i expected to who is ranked kind of in the middle of this top 10 is chase petty he is just like a, a profile that's really terrifying to me out of high school as a guy who threw as hard as he did out of high school like throwing triple digits um, some effort in delivery, but he always had loud stuff between that fastball and that breaking ball. Like he was really good this year. He's still not throwing a ton of innings and he missed a little bit of the early part of the season. Uh, I don't think he threw any more than four innings or any more than 65 pitches. Um, but he was extremely effective. He threw strikes. Um, the slider looks like a phenomenal pitch. It was a 1.72 ERA over 18 starts, 68 innings, 66 strikeouts, 15 walks probably would want to see a little bit more overall swing and miss and strikeout numbers just given the velocity given the movement of the fastball given how good i think the breaking ball is um but he's probably been a, a much better pitcher than i expected to be him to be and maybe it was just a case of me lumping him in with these like hard throwing preps that that don't have a great success rate and I don't know. There were just some concerns that I had with him personally coming out of the draft, and he's been quite good. Where are you at with Chase Petty and your expectations for him moving forward? I mean, it's only two games at Double A so far, but he's still pretty young. The yeah, the results, the the results were good. Um, the velocity has not been the same as it was when he was an amateur. He's sitting more in that hmm. ninety two, ninety four top at 96 97 that i think that makes sense though like going to a pro schedule throwing more consistently like would you i wouldn't really expect him to average what he averaged in high school um it doesn't seem to be common i i would still think to to see the flashes of the top of the upper end Mm. 
velocity. Um, yeah. So if he's a guy, you know, where before maybe was going to be a plus or potentially a 70 fastball, now yeah. it's playing more like an average fastball, which gives me concern. And, and certainly as an amateur, if you tell, hey, Chase Petty is going to be, you know, sitting 92, mm. 94, you know, topping it, you know, 96, 97, then I'd be like, oh, well, that's that's pretty alarming. But yeah, like to his credit, he's he's throwing he's throwing a lot more strikes and showing more pitchability um, than what we what we saw or what I would have expected coming out of high school. Yeah, and his changeup as well. Like I think we saw a pretty good changeup at times for him in high school. I'm trying to pull up our draft report to see what we actually thought about it um, at the time. Yeah, we wrote. I'm not sure if this was you who wrote this one up or me at the time, but we had, he rarely throws his change up and it's inconsistent, but some scouts think it has above average potential. We've got an above average grade on the pitch. Now he threw it more than I expected him to throw it this year. It was just a bit over 15% of the time, got good results on the pitch um, and threw it for strikes again, more than I was expecting. So I think if you take a little bit of the velocity away and add a little bit more command to the, the player that I thought you were getting, I'd probably take that trade. I think the secondaries are quite good and yeah, maybe the sinking fastball just isn't as sexy and is never going to miss as many bats as you might want, but just the quality of his secondaries in addition to the command, if he's able to just stretch it out a little bit next year, pitch deeper into games and still show the same stuff, I'll, I'll probably be pretty excited about him. Yeah. It's, it's just a very different profile than mm. what it looked like in high school where obviously everybody was talking about, you know his fastball he's touching 100 miles an hour 100 plus miles an hour at times in high school and now now he's throwing his slider more than he throws his fastball and now he's really mixing in yeah that change up a lot so i think the, the the point about the slider usage would be a concern i'm not sure like what the most what the heaviest slider usage is for starters but it, like throwing it almost half the time is is a bit concerning both for health and for like is he going to profile more as a reliever because of that or can he start with such a high such a low really fastball usage rate like in terms of stuff and pitchability he he seems more similar to like what i expected jt ginn to be coming out of high school or college like i was very high on jt ginn um doesn't seem like he's really panned out that way but yeah, I'm i'm much more excited about his 2024 season than i would have expected to be prior to like looking into how the season actually panned out for him. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird year. And then it's, you know, for all the concerns we have, like he still had a 172 ERA and finished the year in double A as a 20 year old. Like it's, there's, there's still a lot of good things to like there just in terms of projecting it out long-term it's, it's a lot different than we will. What, what, what I would have expected coming out of high school and still some things to worry about having regressed, but then the other parts of the arsenal have taken steps forward and, and he's using it more frequently to, mm. I think, compensate for what has become a pretty hittable fastball. Yeah. All right. How about Sal Stewart? I mean, he's pretty exciting to me. He hit 275, 396, 416 this year between low A and high A. 12 home runs, 24 doubles, more walks than strikeouts. Um, he hit the ball hard in terms of his underlying exit velocity data. Uh, doesn't chase too much, doesn't miss in zone too much, or really miss a lot overall. The strikeouts and walks are good. 
I mean, probably still a fairly limited defender. Um, but like, what are your expectations for him moving forward? Is he a guy that you liked coming out of high school? Um, or no? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, a it was a pretty good debut, I mm. think for him. Um, there, there's certainly things to like, you know, more walks than strikeouts. I think he has a pretty good understanding, obviously, of the the strike zone. Uh, kind of curious how it's going to play as he's gets out of A ball. I, I think the you know the level of competition in A ball um, is, or excuse me, in low A's in particular has not been great. I know we've talked about that before. Um, yeah, I, I don't. Know. I guess part. Yeah, part of it too is just the defensive question marks too. Like, where does he, where does he ultimately end up playing? Like, I, I hope he can stay uh, at the position. It seems like it did make some uh, some progress to give him a chance to mm-hmm. stick at third base. But if he doesn't, is it enough to yeah. project as a? You know, if he has to go to left field or or first base, that would be, you know, that that would be a risk for me. Yeah, for him, one of the things I'm interested in seeing how how it improves in, in future years is, is how often is he able to elevate the ball and elevate the ball with impact to the pull side. Um, in low A, it looked like he was hitting the ball to the opposite field a little bit. A little bit more frequently than you'd want from a player with his sort of power. It seemed like he started pulling the ball more frequently once he was uh, promoted to high A. Still would like to see him get the ball in the air more often to take advantage of the raw power that I, I think he does have. Um, it would be a bit odd for him to be this sort of like strongly hit over power guy, but right now that's what we have him as. And I guess with the with the zone skills and the contact ability, maybe that shouldn't be too shocking. But I always thought of him as more of a power hitter than... Maybe he's flashed so far, just given the the raw home run power, some of the doubles um, uh, doubles results that he's shown. Like, so is he going to be a guy who takes a step forward with in game power? Not sure. It seems like learning to elevate the ball more consistently is something that can happen later in a player's career. So that'd be maybe an element I'm looking forward to seeing with him. Because as you said, there are questions with the defensive profile, and given his reputation as a defender now and the skills that he has you probably want him to hit for a decent amount of power to, to profile as a solid everyday type. Yeah. Him. And, and I mentioned, uh, Leo, uh, Balcazar, who they signed out of Venezuela a couple of years ago. Um, you know, five, 10 ish, not kind of a medium, smaller type frame, but it's, uh, uh, not a lot going on with the swing. It's pretty simple, pretty direct also not a guy who's uh you know gonna hit for much power ever i don't i don't think obviously guys can end up surprising you and he's still uh 19 years old so that can change um didn't didn't play a lot this season you know the knee issue that he had he ultimately had surgery so he didn't play a ton but uh his ability to potentially you know, stick at shortstop and and the contact skills that he has, I think makes for a like a very intriguing, I don't know if we call him sleeper anymore. He's kind of like a lower-ish dollar signing uh, for them. But, uh, you know, at this point, he's 
I mean, like he's in he's in their top ten prospects now. It's hard to call that guy uh, a sleeper, but uh, somebody who maybe just doesn't get a ton of attention and and understandably so. He just didn't play all that much this year, but someone who I think has a chance, assuming he's able to just stay healthy next year, I think he's going to get more more attention, make up a, a bigger name in in prospect circles next year. Yeah. So you seem like you're a little lighter on the red system than maybe I am. Would you take a system, uh, a Cardinal system over the reds, or do you think they're the the fifth of this group? Because I think for me, I would probably have the Cardinals in the last spot of this group while acknowledging that it's solid. But I, I think I'm probably going to be lower on some of these players and these profiles and other people at BA. Not sure if, if that'll be lower than you or if we'll be more kind of in, in step here together with the Cardinals. Where are you at on, on the Cardinals? I mean, the Cardinals have, they have, I think, what, three, if not four guys who will almost certainly be top 100 prospects. And I think you have a case you can make for their top six guys, at least being in that conversation in that 100 to <laughs> to 150 range. Um, probably Thomas Segesi is the most... Uh, maybe most polarizing of the group, depending on how you, uh, you know, value that type of player. But uh, he had a pretty outstanding season between what double A and triple A this season as a 21 year old. So um, I might take, I think I might take the Cardinals ahead. Yeah. Well, you're, you might have to sell me on some of these players then. And, and as you're saying that, like, I thought maybe like two or three top 100 types. I think some of them have fallen off. Like I like Victor Scott, but that it's a terrifying profile for me given given some of our track record of those profiles. I think I like Segesi a little bit, but I'll have to dig into him more. Like it's it's very much hit first with without a lot of secondary tools. Like I don't think I like Tink Hence as much as maybe some other people do. It sounds like he took some steps backwards this year with some of his stuff. There is the durability question that you have with hence i like mason win and i like takoa roby i think takoa roby in particular was was really exciting when just reading about the stuff that he showed this year that, that jeff had written up like his pitch mix sounds really exciting and he has good control to go with it i don't know that i've ever been as high on mason win as a hitter like i acknowledge that he's a really fun defender his arm strength is phenomenal but i wonder about the power i wonder about the true hitting ability with him like there are a lot of these players in this system that I would maybe have on the hundred, but further down than a lot of other people. And I'm, I'm curious to see like how many I'll just be like, not top 100 uh, compared to others. Cause I'm much more skeptical. I think of, of some of these players. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I, I'm not necessarily, it's not like the Cardinals are head and shoulders above the reds, but I don't see them in a different tier mm. at least. Yeah, I, I think they could be in the same tier. It's just like I look at the Rhett amendment. It's just maybe more of a gut reaction as I'm looking at this list and looking at these players. Like for the Reds list, I look at a lot of their players and I get excited about them. And then I look at the Cardinals and I just like have questions. Um, again, maybe it could just be like my biases coming into it. And as I dig deeper, maybe I'll feel more strongly about the Cardinals. But I, I feel like a lot of these players have question marks. Um, we still have Cooper Jerpy here Uh near the top of the Cardinals list. Like I've just been skeptical of that profile for a long time. I don't think the command has been quite as good as maybe as it was in college. 
Chase Davis is a profile, again, that's probably going to be polarizing for people. He had a really strong debut year, but I saw a lot of him when he was not at his best. They were swinging misconcerns. It wasn't a great pro debut. I'm not going to hold that pro debut against him. I like the tools. I, I don't like the swing as much as everyone else likes the swing. Like A lot of people view it as um, cargo-esque and very smooth and pure. I've just been a little bit lower on that, I think, going back to when he was in high school, really. Um, so I just have more questions about maybe these guys. Maybe I'm nitpicking them too much for some reason, but yeah, I think it's just a very middle of the pack, like 15 to 20 ish system for me. Mm. What, uh, you, you like to color Roby though. It sounds like, cause I, yeah. Yeah. For, for a guy who had what, like a five or close to five ERA this year and, and wasn't on the mounds all that much mm. either. the, the reports from scouts on him were pretty, pretty <laughs> strong as far as their their projections for him. Yeah, I mean, just read like pull up to Roby's scouting report on our site and and go through it. I'm not sure how you could look at him and not be excited. I mean, it's mid 90s fastball up to 97 good life on the pitch gets whiffs when it's elevated he's got a hammer breaking ball and a curveball around 80 good depth and tilt that can be a plus pitch he's got a solid slider um, that he uses to righties that seems like a good pitch he's got a change up that gives him a, a pretty deep arsenal that pitch has solid life as well and then when when you slap on plus control that jeff has on him i mean that's a pretty exciting package to me i like to dream on a guy like that if he stays healthy i mean what do you not like about this profile i guess you don't like the era but i'm not I'm not really too caught up about the era the scouts are all talking really highly of him jeff has a pretty glowing report overall um just the physicality and the stuff is is really exciting to me yeah the the stuff with him sounds pretty great um did also have a shoulder injury this year, so he didn't. Yeah, that's not fun. <clears throat> didn't log a lot of innings. Uh, I don't want to hear about a minor shoulder injury. <laughs> not a, what if you so, get a scratch on your shoulder? Does that count as a minor? Yeah, if you get a mosquito bite, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're, not, we're not concerned. If there's something actually inside the shoulder that has some sort mm. of damage preventing you from doing your job, that's uh, <laughs> that's a bigger concern for me. Um but yeah, I mean, I don't think the Rangers will regret <laughs> the the trade. But no, the, I think uh, they'll be quite happy with it. Yeah, I, I I think there's still some more concerns there. Like I, I I'm not gonna run them into a top fifty prospects list for us, like overall yet. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Like I I I think there are other people in the industry who who might put them there like mm. because there's such belief in in the stuff that he has that if everything clicks he can be you know a mid rotation to you know maybe number 2 type starter where do you who do you have who would you rather have him or tink hens you know that's like coming into the year i, I would have said tink hens and it probably but, wouldn't have been close for you coming into the year yeah the the thing it, it sounds like you know, I, I love Tink Hens, but man, like the the fastball is really good. It's sitting mid nineties, touch you know higher than that, but 
it did it does sound like the breaking stuff took a step backwards mm. this year which is a concern for me um it's still like the, the changeup. i think is still there um in fact I, it seems like sometimes that can be an even more effective pitch for him than than the than the breaking ball but um that would be that would be the one thing for me where i'm like ah like i you know i, I still like him quite a bit but the some of the reports on the the breaking stuff taking a, a step backward uh, or, or mm-hmm. maybe just being more inconsistent than it was previously is a little concerning to hear yeah i think the questions about the spin that popped up this year and and just the lingering questions about the physicality uh that he has would would make me put me in more of the pessimistic bucket for Tinkens. um but you do make a point like the fastball is good it's got good life it comes from a low angle uh, the changeup is solid, but I don't know. I, it's just not a guy that I would be too enamored with. And I think depending on how my top 100 comes out, like uh, I, I, I really don't know where guys like Victor Scott or Tink Hens are going to be on a top 100 for me. That's something that'll obviously take a few months to to develop as we work through those actual lists and get more feel for both these guys and everyone else. But I mean, off the top of my head, I, I can't imagine myself being too aggressive with either of these profiles. Where, where would a guy like Victor Scott for you be? Well, I, I think I'd probably just be more aggressive than uh, or higher than you are on hands. I, I, I still think well, like yeah. he's sitting mid-90s. He's touching 99, maybe 100 miles an hour, close to it. The, the changeup did take a big step forward. He, he does mm-hmm. get a lot of swing and miss on that. Yeah. The you know he, he still has the slider. I, I think that can continue to take a step forward with him and on like the size factor for me that's just not as much of a an issue yeah for me um i think there are some advantages even to be small hitters small pitchers let's go ben ben's putting together a team of sub six foot people who are going to (laughs) dominate that's right (laughs) nobody over nobody over six one on marcus stroman is probably your biggest fan at this point uh, <laughs> I did. I did like that's. I mean, that's true. Like, I didn't like Marcus Stroman a lot coming yeah. out of the uh, the draft. So, uh, <laughs> I just maybe it's like a yeah. I mean, I I just think they're it can get overrated in terms of like oh, every pitcher needs to be yeah. six four six five. If guy. this was his only question mark, I could see being in like the top fifty bucket for him. But there are just other question marks in addition to that that kind of I, lead me. I'm to not being concerned. putting him in. Yeah, I'm not putting him in the top fifty, but he would still be in my mm. top one hundred. Um, yeah, I think Victor Scott is somebody where, again, like it, some pretty good reviews from pro mm. scouts this year yeah. on him. Like he. Obviously, no question about the speed. He's one of the fastest human beings in baseball uh, <laughs> at any level, um, and it shows in the stolen bases. Um, I think he's close to 100 stolen bases this year. Um, it translates into the defense in center field, and you know if it was you know if he was hitting 220 with like no power, okay, mm-hmm. oh yeah, it's more of a red flag but it's you know he went out and he he hit i'm not saying he's a 70 hitter but Hmm. like it's there i think there's enough feel for for hitting there where yeah i think he has a a chance to turn into a an everyday 
regular in center field potentially. Yeah, I'll really have to dig into his hitting ability and the swing and like what scouts are saying about the hitting ability because I'm really not bothered at all about the, the lack of power. I think he's clearly uh, a dynamic defender in the middle of the field and runs enough that really just hitting for power is not going to be a huge concern for me. It's just like, what is the the hit tool with him? Is he truly an above average hitter? Because um, if he is, it's a pretty attractive profile overall. I think I'm going to have to get over my like hesitation with this sort of player profile because like what if he winds up being a victor robles like that's clearly not a an outcome that you want um but it does sound like he does a lot of things well offensively Uh, obviously bunting has gone away he seems like a guy who could actually use that in his toolbox offensively and and it wouldn't be an an issue for me like with most people who are bunting so i think the yankees will trade for him (laughs) they they need to at this point i mean they need big left-handed hitters and the the manager wants to bunt more so it fits both of their both their needs this offseason i mean he's the anti-joey gallo right (laughs) yeah well if they're if if hal steinbrenner thinks they should bunt more then this is the guy this this is the guy you need this is your man yeah victor scott for jason dominguez who says no (laughs) Oh God! <laughs> Might be a revolt in the oh, Bronx. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I think the <laughs> yeah, man, there'd be a real um, identity crisis with the people who are saying they want more old school ball, though, for that one. Because Victor Scott is certainly more of the old old school profile. Um, definitely not an analytics favorite, I, I wouldn't imagine. All right, yeah, any other but- any other players you want to mention here with the Cardinals? Any other guys you're excited about? Uh, yeah, I think I'm with you on Cooper Chirpy. Um, gonna share my <clears throat> skepticism on that one. I, mm. I think, I think Thomas Thomas Agassi is going to be, to yeah. me, one of the most interesting guys in this system um, because another guy they got from the Rangers this season, um, and you know, like the if you just look at the performance, he's performed as well as just about anybody in the minor leagues, both in 2023 and 2022 as well. Um, it's kind of answering questions about, all right, will this continue to work at the upper levels? Cause he's done it in double a starting to do it in, uh, in triple. I mean, he got to triple a like pretty small sample size, so not much yeah. to go off there, but um, really, especially what he did in, in double a this year, finished the year hitting, 306, 374, 530, uh, 26 home runs. I do think the one of one of the concerns is like, okay, like how much, how much power that mm-hmm. he's shown in the minor leagues? How much maybe error is in those numbers? How much of that is going yeah. to continue at <clears throat> by the time he gets to the major league? Because he's not hitting the ball exceptionally hard like it's not plug, mm-hmm. not above average raw power it's probably what more like fringy mm-hmm. average-ish type power uh, and it's it plays up because of how how often he's on the sweet spot and the angles at which he's hitting the ball so um, I think that's a question mark with him but the performance being 21 years old in double a like mm-hmm. there's there's a lot to to like here yeah i think he could easily wind up being the best hitter in the system and it wouldn't really surprise me at all um it just seems like he has 
he's one of those players that gets the most out of his power, has a really good feel for the barrel. He's a little bit aggressive. Um, maybe we'd want to see him improve the approach at times, and maybe that'll help him continue to maximize the power he gets to as he advances. Um, I guess the biggest question with me, and maybe it's not a massive question if we have this conviction in his hitting ability and we think he'll get to, I guess, I think he could get to solid power. Do you think it's more like fringy or below average in-game power given some of the raw power questions? For him moving forward because if you do think he can get to solid power and be an above average hitter i think that lessens some of the concerns about the defensive profile with just okay actions okay arm strength probably not going to be a great defender wherever he's at um if you do think he's above average hit solid power that's fine if you maybe are more skeptical about the power showing up in games maybe you get into a situation where it's more of like a a backup type profile than an everyday guy yeah i, I think that's like the big question mark is how much of that power does mm-hmm. translate i'm i don't know i don't i don't have a strong take so i can't give you a, mm. um like a firm answer other than like i'm just kind of curious to see how it yeah. does play out yeah okay um i mean ivan herrera is an interesting player here at number six it sounds like he's like a solid backup profile who could maybe um play himself into a role beyond that like he hits the ball a lot like he makes a lot of contact he uses the opposite field he's got solid power he receives well he doesn't do anything exceptionally um but just does a lot of a lot of things nicely and that that seems like a solid package for a catcher if he was any other position maybe it wouldn't be as exciting but it seems like he can get um some solid playing time behind the plate um in the very near future so i like that as just like another prospect that you have in the system uh, I'm not sure if you view him as, as having any more upside than, than kind of what I've laid out, but yeah, I, I think you're underselling his potential. I, I think if mm. he, you know, it's in that organization right now, like, yeah, he's behind Wilson Contreras. So like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a tough one. Like he does project right now, just in terms of their own organization on their depth chart yeah. as a backup, but I think he has a chance to be, uh, you know, a league average, uh, if not better, uh, regular catcher. I, I think he does. I, I agree. There's nothing like super sexy in his profile. It's not like a 70 arm that's going to yeah. grab your attention and probably, you know, get overrated in terms of the actual utility of it. Or uh, it's not crazy huge raw power either but he he really has a a disciplined approach for the strike zone he's consistently getting on base at a high clip there's enough power in there there's good feel for hitting i i think he's somebody who's going to stick behind the plate uh potentially give you good obps especially for a catcher and that's you know if i'm another organization that needs a catcher he'd be a guy that i'd be the calling the cardinals on and saying hey like what (laughs) you know try to sneak him out of there because he just doesn't have there's no clear path for playing time right now yeah i mean he hit 297 451 500 uh 10 home runs 27 doubles nearly as many walks as strikeouts in triple a uh, posted good OBPs in, in the limited time he's gotten in the big leagues. So, and I think you're right. Like if you do a lot of things well and you play catcher, you don't really have to do anything exceptionally to be valuable in some capacity. I'm curious to see like ultimately what what role does he wind up being in? Is he 
is he a guy who can carve carve out an everyday role on a team, even if it's not the Cardinals? Um, we'll see. But you make a good point to uh, to kind of reinforce some of the things he does well. Uh, I don't really have any other guys here that I'm itching to mention. Are there any other names that, that maybe you want to touch on before we move on from this, Ben? I mean, I don't I don't want to keep being the Debbie Downer on the Cardinal system. What? Uh... Although, again, acknowledging that I think all of these all these systems are are very solid. Like I don't. There's no there's no one that I'm like. Oh, this, this is not a good system. I think they're all solid, average, or better. We except haven't even talked about the Brewers, except for the Cardinals system that they don't like. No, it's it's a solid. It's a solid system. I'm probably going to be lower on some of their players than others. All right. <laughs> I like I, I like the Brewers system a lot. Yeah, I, I, I almost forgot that we haven't talked about the Brewers system, and I'm glad we saved them for the end because they're a ton of fun. I mean, I imagine they're going to be a top two system. We currently have them on our our current midseason rankings as the number two system in baseball. It's hard for me to think of another system that would be above them that's that's not the orioles um but yeah l- lay it out ben you did this system you're you're chatting about them for our readers in a few hours here um you're the expert so break it down for me yeah i think it's a, a really strong system uh even just going through their top 10 it's kind of hard to leave guys out of the top 10 uh there's probably a group of about 15 to I don't know, 16, 17 players who you can make a case for to be in the top 10. Um, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, it was more uh, pitching heavy and the position players were in the lower levels. Now you're seeing, e- e- even with the graduations of guys like Sal Freelick and Joey Weimer and Bryce Terang, you're seeing these guys come up to the big leagues and start to have a you know some you know play a role in the major league club but uh now you have players who are just like balanced throughout the top of the organization and the bottom uh both position players and pitchers maybe well, maybe less so on the pitching side right now but um just in terms of the the depth of pitching but you do have you know like a clear top 100 guy in Jacob Mizorowski, who's has some of the best raw stuff in baseball with obviously some pretty significant question marks too. So I, I think it's a very, it's a strong system at the top and a very deep and, and a pretty balanced system uh, as well. Yeah. As I was just looking over it, it, it did jump out that there's a lot of different profiles, a lot of different position groups that you have with, with very, appealing profiles in those position groups like is there an area of the system that is a weakness like is there a position that maybe you could say oh the organizational depth here isn't exceptional like there's no short sauce in the top 10 mm-hmm. is that an area that maybe you think needs to be addressed or do you think there is enough going on elsewhere that it's not really a huge issue uh yeah i think it's the one position they're probably lighter on probably the one position you don't want to be uh light on uh like eric brown jr hasn't been as good um as you would hope for uh for a first round pick cooper pratt i think has been pretty interesting the you know pick out i like him quite a bit so i hope he performs well and takes steps forward and sticks there at the position because he's definitely big for the position but he's he's exciting i like the tool set yeah, yeah, like we'll see if he ends up ultimately sticking there. Um, 
some guy like Daniel Guilarte, uh, like Dylan O'Reilly has played some shortstop, but um, like they, they have a lot of guys who probably are shortstops or have played shortstop, but don't really project their long term, which I think it's more of a bat driven organization more so than anything. Um, but, um, but I, yeah, it's probably the one position that's a, a little bit lighter on mm-hmm. just on, on true shortstops. How many top 100 types do you think are in the system right now? I think it's probably five top 100 guys um, mm-hmm. with obviously a top, I don't know. Our, our top five is going to be pretty crowded, but I'll, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll call Jackson Churio a top five prospect. You know, that one premium elite of the elite type guy at the very top of the list. That's, you know, those guys are the, yeah. The, the best of the best. It's, it's very hard to not like a system that has an elite talent topping the list that has a very nice blend of hitting and pitching that has strong depth throughout. Like that's what makes an elite farm system. And that really seems like that's what the brewers have here. Like Jackson Chorio, I don't know how many other players, like what sort of, what sort of prospects would you put him in? like in the same tier of historically for you, like how many, how many other players, I guess would be clearly better than him. I can't imagine it's a massively long list in the, that the brewers have had that, that you've covered basically. And obviously you've covered a lot, like, but you specifically done the handbook chapters for like, would he be in the top tier of players that you've written up for the handbook or no? Um, yeah. I mean, he fits, like I said, like he's going to be a top five prospect, I think. And in our top 100 and in most years that's the kind of guy that we're talking about maybe not like i, I think ronald acuna who's you know gonna be his most frequently compared uh player because I, I i do think there are a lot of similarities between the two i would have acuna a cut ahead of him um what's the biggest the separator that, um i i think just acuna's performance had been a little bit ahead of Churio. Now, Ronald Acuna didn't have to deal with the first half Southern League baseballs <laughs> that Churio yeah. did. That that was a factor for him. Uh, and we saw his second half results were much better than the first half. I don't want to entirely wave mm. away what happens in the first half because every other hitter in the Southern league dealt with it. Like Tyler black was there too. Like he, and, and I think Tyler black's just like a better pure hitter mm. uh, than, than Churio. He obviously doesn't do all of the other things that Churio, like pretty much everything else Churio does <laughs> is, is better. Um, and, and Tyler black's a, a good prospect too. I, I think he'll be in our top 100, but, um, but I, 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 I think Acuna was just the performance uh, as a hitter was a, a little bit ahead of where Churio was, but it's not like a big gap. I don't mm. think either. Like if, if you just go down our his, the history of our top 100 prospects uh, and just look at the guys who rank, you know, particularly the position players, I should say uh, who rank in the top five. Uh, I'm not yeah. as big on the 
pitchers belonging there. <laughs> you don't put pitchers yeah. in the top five, Ben. So with certain with certain <laughs> exceptions, but um, but I, I think he absolutely belongs in that category. Yeah, no, he's exceptionally exciting. Um, I'm, I really can't wait to see him more, like just in person or live. Um, another guy that. I don't know if he gets slept on in the system, but I, I feel like he might is like Jefferson Caro sounds really exciting. He has phenomenal defensive tools and it sounds like he does a lot of things well offensively as well. You have pretty solid grades on him. Obviously you guys can all see all the reports on these players we're talking about on the site right now. Uh, Brewers list dropped today. Um, what are the expectations for him? And I mean, how many other catching prospects in the minors would you take over him at this point? Uh, defensively or just overall defensively it might be zero yeah I mean, he might be the best defensive catcher in who? the minor leagues there might be somebody who's like has a total zero that <laughs> is better who i'm not you know thinking of but mm. um at least you know among prospects who you know will rank in a top 30 yeah it's it's hard to beat him defensively uh both in terms of the you know the 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 receiving, the blocking, the agility, uh, the arm strength, the well above average arm. It's a quick release. Uh, he th- throws out runners at a pretty high clip, especially given the you know the current rules in baseball, um, and then all of the kind of intangible stuff that managers and pitchers love to have in a catcher. The uh, the energy, the leadership skills, the just the baseball savvy, the intelligence that he has on the field is well beyond what you would see from a 20 or uh, I guess just turned 21 year old mm. catcher. So um, that's all really good. And then offensively, you know, coming into the year, it was more of like a slash ish type approach. Uh, this year, the power really came on. Um, would not have expected him or did not expect him to hit for the kind of power uh, that he did. But, you know, uh, EVs up to 111 this year. The the power numbers took a jump forward with him hitting 16 home runs this year. Was it a... Wins. Was it a change in approach or additional strength or, or a combination of the two? Uh, I think getting stronger was part of it. Um, mm. Now he's still like it's still a, a very aggressive to uh, to his own detriment approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he's he's going to need to develop a, a little bit better plate discipline. Uh, I think like the soft stuff has given him some trouble, but um, really good fastball hitter. I think it's a potential twenty plus home run type at which to go with uh uh well above average defense potentially behind the plate um is yeah i'm trying to yeah, think pretty loud that. combo yeah i'm just i don't have like the I'm trying to think of like other catchers in the game off the top of my head but like he's he's absolutely up there in in the top tier yeah and where like just thinking of this all-around profile like where would you expect him to land on a top 100 list got to be pretty high up there but again like him being behind jacob mizurowski i feel like mizurowski might be a player that that people have more variance and opinions on um than a guy like kiro yeah i mean i think it's going to be close between them like i like yeah like like salas obviously will be higher 
hmm. Ethan Salas, I should say, from the Padres because, I mean, they're, they're at the same level and Ethan Salas is uh, 14 years old or whatever it is now. So. Um, yeah, but like, you know, like Basayo, I think, like like Caro, Basayo, to me, like those are the guys who are after that Ethan Salas tier belong in that top. 40 ish being kind of conservative, maybe yeah. range with, I think Carol obviously having a much better chance to stick behind the plate defensively. And then Basayo being uh, certainly well ahead of Caro, just in terms of the offensive potential, not that Caro's a, a zero with a bat by any means, but mm-hmm. I think just what Basayo does for uh, with the Orioles, just offensively, he can move him potentially to first base and he still might have mm-hmm. enough uh, offensive impact to be a, a plus regular hmm. over there. Um, but yeah, like, and I, and I think Mizzy, like him and Mizzy Arowski, you know, kind of went, you can go back and forth on who you, who you take. Um, I think if everything clicks for Mizzy Arowski, he has a chance to be a number one starter, but kind of like we were talking about with Hurston Waldrop, although even more so there's going to be a, a hmm. wide range in terms of outcomes <laughs> yeah. for him because the control, while it did improve this year, still still has a, a ways to go. Yeah, his stuff is phenomenal. Uh, super wide range of outcomes, just given how loud the stuff is. Um, I mean, did he make any impressive adjustments, either with mechanics or with command and control? Anything that like gives you hope that he can... Um, get close to his upside potential or is it still like a question mark like the same as it was a year ago uh i guess i mean if you look at what he did in his in college in in junior college and you look at what he did in his pro debut when he got out there for you know an inning and two-thirds and walked seven guys and hit another guy like (laughs) um yeah like it, it it's sounds weird to say for a guy who walked you know 5.3 batters per nine innings last year and then in 71 innings through another 13 wild pitches and hit 18 guys which i think was like second maybe in the minor leagues um it sounds weird to say that that guy's control took a step forward this year but <laughs> like it did uh, i think the 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 optimism is like all right and this goes back to you know, some of the advantages of shorter pitchers versus taller guys where the taller guys you know maybe like a Noah Schultz with the White Sox aside uh, generally are going to have longer longer levers and that's certainly the case with Mizzy Arowski. he's got these long arms long legs flying everywhere in his delivery so the hope is okay he's you know he just turned 21 years old last season doesn't have a ton of innings under his belt the hope is down the road he'll he'll get better at coordinating and syncing up all of those long limbs and levers that are flying around everywhere in his delivery to be able to more consistently repeat his delivery and throw more strikes. So, uh, you know, we've seen that with other guys um, like Andrew Miller. I've, you know, he ended up having a ending up in a bullpen role, which, which might ultimately be what happens with Mizzy too. But, um, you know, somebody who had trouble uh, kind of throwing strikes and keeping everything together as another six, 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 seven uh, pitcher. Uh, but then what it all 
came together. He was able to throw enough strikes and had dominant uh, stuff in in the back of a bullpen. So um, I think that would be the reason for optimism with him. But if it never comes together, then <laughs> that's you know that that's where the big downside risk is. Yeah, I pulled up the minor league hit by pitch leaders, and Mizzy Rasky was one of seven other pitchers who hit eighteen or more batters this spring. So he was he was in the clear top tier. The, the two leaders had twenty, so he wasn't far off the pace there. Yeah, and with seventy one innings. So yeah, well there are the uh, there was a pitcher who hit twenty and forty eight innings, uh, but the other guy had one hundred twenty six. So. <laughs> Yeah. Guessing we're not putting him in the handbook. No, I don't. I don't think he's a name that uh, that'll be in the handbook. So yeah, but I mean, like you know, Miss Yarowski throws up to up to one hundred two, and it's a one hundred two that plays up because he's six seven. Comes at you. <laughs> it's with that just so weird angle. hearing. It's so yeah. weird hearing a one hundred two that plays up. <laughs> like like how how unfortunate is it to be a hitter who has to face one hundred and two that feels like more? Yeah, he gets so much extension. Mm. Um, it's, yeah, he is six, seven. He's releasing the ball out front from this low angle. And then the slider is just a silly wiffle ball, 70 pitch on the 2080 scale power, uh, sharp late action to it, uh, depth two plane break to it. It's just a, an overwhelming couple of pitches that mm. he has um and you know he's got a curveball too uh changeup is not really a weapon would like to see that improve but like i don't know realistically if that's ever going to be uh a big pitch for him so uh but just the fastball breaking stuff combination if you can develop average control um this is a, a guy who has a chance to pitch at the the front of a rotation yeah, no, it's tremendous stuff. Really high upside, super exciting arm. Uh, any other guys you want to mention before we wrap up our talk on on NL Central prospects? There's no shortage of names. I feel like you could throw at me here. Um, just curious how much more you wanna you wanna dive into this on the pod though. Yeah, they have uh, you know they have a whole bunch of guys. I really like their draft this year. Um, you know they added Brock Wilkin, Eric Batanti, Mike Bovey, Cooper Pratt, who we who we touched on. So they had a, a whole bunch of guys to, uh, Oh, Josh Noth too, obviously. Right. Yeah. So I was say so. that's the guy I feel like he loved the most of all yeah. those names. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think they went more high school heavy than, than usual, um, or, or got some more prominent high school players than, yeah. than they would normally. They have three track. high school players. They signed for more than a million, which is significant. Even if Cooper Pratt was a sixth rounder. Yeah, so I I like those guys. So they they have some they have some pretty good players in the lower levels of the system, and then you add into it what they have on the international side with um, Luis Lara, who I mean, pretty soon he's not going to be in the lower levels of the system, but he was 18 years old this year in low A and finished the year in high A, a, a center fielder who, um, you know, I think he's like five seven, five eight, maybe at most, but <laughs> maybe five nine. Um, we'll, we'll call it five eight. But um, really good feel for hitting from both sides of the plate. The power is the question there, but uh, really strong defensive instincts. He kind of followed that Churio path of uh, good playing in the DSL. Really good year in the DSL. 
goes to extended spring the next year, which, you know, in 2023, and then doesn't stay there for the complex. Like they skip him right over that and they send him to, to low a Carolina. So they have him. And I, I think you'll ferry Rodriguez, the outfielder, you know, their big international signing this year who played in the DSL had a really good year. Uh, I think he could follow that same kind of timeline potentially because he's, he's a different kind of player than Laura, a little bit more physicality to him less less likely that he stays in center field i think long term if i had to bet he probably ends up moving to a corner but um really good feel for for hitting uh and there's power in there too so um you know a, a lot of guys who are at the top of the system with you know obviously like Churio and kiro and uh Mizierowski getting a double a and tyler black but um and, you know robert gasser too obviously but uh, there's a whole bunch of there's a really interesting wave of lower level prospects too uh, throughout the or, or at the lower levels of the organization. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely check out uh, Ben's top ten on the site now. That is again up with all the other NL Central teams. I think we're through um, just ten of our thirty updated top tens. So we're going to keep plugging along. With those, the rest of the National League should be done before the month is out, and then we'll be on to the American League for updated top tens on the site. Um, what else do we have today, Ben? Anything else you want to touch on um, before we get out of here for the weekend? No, we didn't forget any NL, any other NL Central systems, did we? No, I only forgot the Cardinals, and we touched on them. So yeah. no, no other teams um, that were forgotten. Um, but man, as you're as you're talking through the Brewers, I'm I'm even more excited. The, how well they seem to do in the international market is is pretty exceptional um and layering that on solid drafts just makes you a really good system so i'll be curious to see how many of these guys land on the hundred where they wind up in our org rankings um if they can take down the orioles because it feels like it's a comparable system or at least maybe close to it um uh, i think the orioles are tough to beat they are tough to beat they've, they've got a lot of really exciting bats there all right well um yeah, I guess uh, for for you guys, thank you for listening. Um, definitely check out check out the site. A lot of good stuff on it. I think Ben also has some underclass content that hit the site today. We've got the Braves breakdown. We've got an upcoming draft list update for the 24 class. Um, just a lot of content at every level. The Prospect Handbook is in progress. So you can go ahead and pre-order that if you're interested. Um, and if you haven't left us a rating and review on this podcast and you feel inclined, uh, that would be awesome. That would help us out. Uh, ben, do you have any other requests or, or comments? Uh, no, appreciate uh, you guys listening. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. So for Ben, I'm Carlos. So long, everybody. See you next time.